0: This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. I asked my daughter, Shelby, if I could tell you this story, and she agreed. The other day, we were driving in the car, and as we were driving, um, I asked her, Honey, if I were to ask you um, Or if I were to tell you that you're becoming more and more like your mother and father, would that be a compliment or an insult? And she said the perfect answer. She said, Well, that depends. Right? And that's how we feel. It depends because there are things that we all want to imitate from our parents, isn't there? There are some good things. Maybe you grew up in a home where your family was disciplined and maybe good with money. Maybe they were hardworking and maybe they were present. Maybe they were loving. Maybe they taught you how to follow Jesus. Maybe they brought you to worship. And so when someone says, you're becoming a lot like your mother, you're becoming a lot like your father, maybe you feel, oh, that's a compliment. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure, especially for, for our daughter, if we were to say that, she would say, well, there are definitely things I don't want to imitate about my mom and dad, right? And maybe that's the same for you. Maybe you look back on your life and there were things that your parents did that you just don't want to follow in their footsteps. Maybe uh, their life was chaotic. Maybe they were unorganized. Maybe they were dealing with their own wounds from their own childhood, and so they weren't present for you. Maybe there was some favoritism or some other issues going on and, and, and there's just kind of chaos. And so if someone were to say to you, you're becoming a lot like your mother, you're becoming a lot like your father, that would almost feel like an insult. The reality is all of us inherit both a blessing and a curse from our parents. And in fact, that's the first fill in the blank already. If you're doing the fill in the blank we all inherit a blessing and and a curse from our families. Now, maybe you think, well, that's not me. I'm above that. You know, I'm not affected by my family at all. I'm totally different. You know, they flew off the handle. They got angry, but that's not me. I'm not anything like my parents. Well, if you want to deny what you've received from your family, you're just ignoring basic biology, we inherit some genes from our family, whether we like it or not, the good and the bad. We inherit both a blessing and a curse from our family. Not only is that basic biology, it's part of the Bible. Already on page five of the Bible, in Genesis chapter five, we read about the genealogies of Adam and Eve. And, and it says this When God created Adam, Mankind, literally Adam, when he created human beings, when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. But then when Adam lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So God created human beings in in his likeness. He created human beings to be like God. We are supposed to reflect the great qualities of God, to reflect his love and his, his patience, his understanding, his forgiveness. We were created in his image to be like God. But right away we see already that Adam had a child in his own likeness, a child that was going to be like him. It was going to reflect the qualities of of sinful human beings like Adam and Eve, and that's no different than us. We were created to be like God, and so on our best days, we're reflecting the qualities of God, and yet we are children of our parents. And so we inherit some of that from them. We're continuing our sermon series called Messy Families. And the reason, one of the reasons that all of our families are kind of a mess is because some of us, we, or all of us, we've inherited some of that mess from our parents. And I'm not saying that to knock our parents. Because they inherited some of the mess from their parents and their grandparents and it continues to get passed on from generation to generation. So some of our mess is inherited. But here's the good news just because you've inherited some of these qualities doesn't mean you have to live in them. Doesn't mean you have to repeat them. In fact, the the question I'd like to answer this morning is, how can we receive the blessing and overcome the curse of our families? How can we receive the good from our families and yet overcome the curse? And answer that question, we're going to go into the book of Genesis and look at the messy families in Genesis. And last week, uh, Pastor Bill started introducing us to that mess as he told us about Abraham. Abraham was, uh, we we first meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He lived uh, about 2,000 years before Jesus, about uh, 4,000 years ago. And you heard the story about how Abraham, they, they, they were told they were, were going to have this special family, but they weren't getting that family. And so Abraham ends up sleeping with his maid servant, or his wife's maid servant, Hagar, and they have a son, Ishmael. And that created all sorts of mess in their family. And then we also hear how they finally did have a child. Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac ends up marrying Rebecca, and they have twin boys. Esau and Jacob and today we're going to focus on the family of Jacob whose name would turn into Israel and he'd have 12 children would become the 12 tribes of Israel so today we're going to focus on the family of Jacob now already at the beginning of their story where when Isaac and Rebekah are are going to have these twins there seems to be a drama that is building already in their origin stories already in their birth stories It says in verse 24 of chapter 25, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in the womb. The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means red. Usually the Bible, especially the early authors of the Bible, don't give us much physical description of people. We don't, we don't know much about how people look, but when we do get a description of who, how they look physically, usually that's kind of a, an insight into something about their character. It's kind of a way of foreshadowing the kind of person they're going to be. And so we hear about this Esau, who's kind of this hairy beast, right? And the rest of his life, he, he, he kind of shows himself as kind of a wild animal, he marries the first woman that he sees, even though she's a Canaanite pagan woman. He's just driven by his, his, his desires. And then, and then he, he gives up his birthright over a pot of stew because he's just so hungry, he can't control himself. And he loves to be out in the woods hunting after animals. So, so Esau already is kind of described as this wild animal. And then we hear about his twin brother, Jacob. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Later on in the story, we hear a contrast that Esau was hairy and Jacob was smooth, almost slippery, slippery like a snake. And even right here in his origin story, he's tripping his brother up, trying to gain a place in the family, already grabbing at his brother's heel right from birth. And and this image, this this event was so powerful to Rebecca. she named him, you're a heel grabber. That's what the name Jacob means. It actually has a double meaning of a, somebody trips somebody up, somebody who's a deceiver. And so already we kind of see this drama building and we know that, that something's about to happen. There's going to be kind of a, a messy family here of, of dysfunction. And, and that's what we see as, as the story continues. In verse 27, it says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Already we start to see some dysfunction in this family. We see the dysfunction of favoritism. Isaac loves hunting and loves the outdoors, and so he prefers his son Esau, who loves to hunt and go outdoors, and, and so he shows favoritism, and Rebecca then favors Jacob. And the reason this is so dysfunctional is because remember how we were created. We were created to reflect God. We were created in God's image, and God doesn't play favorites. God loves all of his children equally. And so what's dysfunctional here is they're not acting like their heavenly father. In fact, Isaac is acting like his earthly father. You see, Abraham had a favorite. Abraham preferred Isaac over Ishmael. And now Isaac has a favorite, showing favoritism. He prefers Esau over Jacob. And I wish I could say that this dysfunction ended with Jacob, but then we find out that Jacob has a favorite son, Joseph. And I wish I could say it ended with Joseph, but we find out that Joseph has a favorite son, Manasseh. And for four generations, we have this dysfunction of showing favoritism. The problem is, is when you have this kind of dysfunction, it creates a distorted view of reality. In fact, a distorted view of God himself. And when you live in this kind of distorted view of reality and in kind of a, a dysfunctional family, it starts to breed lies. And the lie that Jacob believed was that love has limits. Jacob grew up in a home where love seemed to be like, a, like an apple pie. There's only so many slices to go around. And if, if, if his father Isaac was going to give the best slices to his brother Esau, well, then there's no slice of love left For Jacob. So he grew up in this distorted reality, this dysfunction. And maybe you grew up in something similar. Maybe you grew up in a home where one parent favored one of the children. Or maybe it wasn't so much like that, but you grew up in a home where maybe your parents were just preoccupied with something else. They were so busy with their careers, they didn't give you the attention that you really needed. They weren't present with you. Or maybe they were so focused on achievement, they wanted you to achieve so much that you learned this lie that love is conditional. And so you, you learn these lies, and the problem is is when you, you live in this kind of dysfunctional family, and again, all of us have our mess, all of us have our dysfunction, when you learn that, then you have to find certain survival mechanisms, certain ways to survive in this dysfunctional world, or at least some way to cope. And that's what Jacob did. Jacob had to figure out some way to survive in a world where love was limited. And so he fell back on the survival method that was the favorite in the family, deceit. If you remember last week, you heard that Abraham deceived people saying that his wife was his sister on two occasions, actually. And if you'd keep reading the book of Genesis, you find out that Isaac did the same thing as his father. He lied that his wife, Rebecca, was his sister. And now Jacob is doing the exact same thing He's going to use deceit to survive in a world where love has limits. And so he deceives his father and his brother. And here's how the story goes. Isaac is growing old and he, he can't see anymore. He knows his days are limited. He, knows he doesn't have many days left. And so he calls in his favorite son, Esau. And he says, go out and, and, and hunt some wild game. Prepare it just the way I like it. Come back here and I will give you the blessing, the blessing I received from Abraham. Now I don't have time to explain all of what this whole blessing meant, but it was very important to this family. Who got the blessing? And so he said, um, so 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 he did that. Esau went off to go hunt some wild game to bring it back, but Rebecca overheard the conversation, and Rebecca says to Jacob, "Hey, your dad is about to give the blessing." to your brother Esau. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to run to your flock and, and get a goat and kill it and I'll prepare it just the way your father likes it. Then dress up in Esau's clothes and put some goat hair on your arms so that you're hairy like your brother and go in and pretend that you are your brother and then you can get the blessing. And at first he wasn't on board, but after a while it didn't take much convincing and Rebecca and her favorite son Jacob colluded together to betray Isaac, his father, and his brother, Esau. And the plan seemed to work out at first because uh, Isaac did give the blessing to Jacob. But then when Esau found out about this, he was irate. And the only way that he could console himself was he said, when my father's dead, I'm going to go and kill my brother and get my revenge. Rebecca knew about this, and so she told Jacob, You need to run to my brother's house, to your uncle Laban's house, because your brother is planning on killing you. And that's what he does. What a mess. Maybe you've seen this cycle play out in your life too where where there's some kind of dysfunction. There's something in your family where people are not reflecting the good character of God, of being loving and forgiving and patient and kind, instead unforgiving, quick-tempered and angry. Maybe there's some dysfunction in your life, in your family. And when there's dysfunction in your family, then that breeds a lie, a lie about reality, a lie about God, a lie maybe that love has its limits, that love is conditional, That that there's only so much love to go around. That God is quick-tempered and easily angered and and anything could happen at any moment. And if you grow up in a home where there's lots of dysfunction and that breeds a lie about reality, then you find any way you can to survive. Maybe you try to survive through achievement, earning love. Maybe you look for love in all the wrong places. Uh, Maybe you find different ways to cope and, and, and the family's favorite coping mechanisms of maybe drinking or, or drugs or eating or entertainment or, or running away from any kind of problem. And what you found and what we've all found is it just makes a bigger mess. And that's exactly where Jacob is right now. None of this has helped the problem. He's on the run. He's running for his life. And he's in a city called Luz, and he's spending the night on his way to his Uncle Laban's house. And he lays down to sleep at night, and and while he's sleeping, God comes to him in a vision. And in this vision, it might sound kind of strange at first, but in the vision, um, it it seems like there's this stairway. Uh, Maybe some people think it's maybe like a temple stairway, maybe something that would look like the ancient pyramids. Or the ziggurat temples. Um, This stairway that goes up with, with the Lord at the top of this temple. The Lord at the top of this stairway. And God's messengers, angels, going up and down this stairway. And Jacob's trying to figure out what all of this means. And God explains it to him. He says in verse 13, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, And the God of Isaac, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land. What a surprise that although Jacob was running away from all of his problems, he couldn't outrun God. That God was still present in the middle of his mess. No matter how far he had gone, no matter how many ways that he screwed up his life, and no matter how big the mess was, God was still here. God says, I am with you. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am that stairway. He uses this picture. He says, I'm that stairway. I'm I'm that link between God and and the people. And and Jacob is so blown away by this. uh, He responds to this vision. He says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Isn't that like a phrase that you could just kind of paste over so much of your story? My life, our family, it was so messy. But God was in that place and I didn't know it. God was right here in the middle of our mess and I was not aware of it. Jacob makes a makes a vow to God here. It seems like Jacob gets it. He, he's so moved by this vision that God is with him, but, but he's not completely convinced that God will continue to be with him. He's not completely convinced that this message maybe hit his head, but didn't seem to go down in his heart. And maybe again, that's where you're at today. Where where you want to believe that God still loves me. You want to believe that God hasn't left me. You want to believe that God is in the middle of our messy family. You want to believe that God is here. And you believe that with your head. You've heard it all, but you still are living according to the story of your family. You're still living according to the old script. And that's where Jacob was. So he runs off to Laban, his uncle. And for 20 years, his uncle, Laban, deceives Jacob. The tables have turned, and Pastor Bill will talk more about that next week. But for 20 years, he gets deceived by his uncle, and he's got to learn firsthand how to trust in the Lord in the middle of deception. It gets so bad that he can't stay there anymore, and he decides to return back home. He says, it's better for me to go back and face Esau than continue to be deceived by my uncle Laban. So he decides to head back home. And as he's heading back home, uh, he sends his at this time, more about this next week, his wives and children across the river. And he waits by himself to pray. The night before he was going to meet Esau. And while he's waiting there and praying, a man comes up to him. And Jacob does what, he's all, what he always does when he's confronted with, um, with somebody. He begins to fight. He begins to trip this guy up. He begins to wrestle. And they start this wrestling match all night long. And in the middle of this wrestling match, he realizes, I'm not wrestling against a human being. I'm wrestling God. And as he's wrestling God this whole night, God calls out to him and says, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob responds, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, I know this sounds like a strange story, a man wrestling with God, but it's teaching a very profound message that all of us need to hear and believe. See, Jacob was wasting all of his time trying to get favor from human beings, trying to find his place in his family, he was wasting his time trying to deceive everybody, trying to make his life make sense, trying to cope and trying to survive. He was wasting all of that time. And what he really needed was to embrace God, the only one who could truly bless him, the only one who could give him what his heart longed for. And the Lord actually drove this message home by giving him a new name. The Lord said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Jacob but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. He gave him a new name. In fact, that, this, that, this is the story that gives the nation of Israel their name. The people of Israel, this is the story. Instead of deceiving people, instead of tripping people up, Jacob got a new name that he was to embrace the God who could bless him, embrace the God who would be with him. And that's what we need to hear. All of us inherit a dysfunctional family. Nobody's family is perfect. And because our families aren't perfect, our families can't give us what we all desperately need. And that's why we need a new family. That's what we get at our baptisms. When we we are baptized, when we believe in Jesus, Jesus gives us a new father, a heavenly father. He welcomes us into his family, the only family that can really give us what we desperately need. And now God says of you what he said of Jesus at his baptism. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. I'm so happy with you. You're my son. You're my daughter. In Jesus Christ, God says of you, I'm so happy with you. So that's our next next fill in the blank. God is calling us into his family. We all have dysfunctional families, and if you're looking in your family to give you what you desperately need, it's going to be this this bucket that's got a hole in the bottom. It's never going to satisfy. It's like how you feel after you eat a bag of Oreos, right? (laughs) It just never satisfies. God is calling us into his family. And so that helps us answer our original question. How can we receive the blessing and overcome the curse of our families? How can we receive the blessing and overcome the curse of our families? Well, here's how you do it. Be grateful for the good. There's good in every family. Even as dysfunctional as Jacob's family was, Jacob could say, I was born into the family of God. Yeah, my, my, my grandfather, Abraham, was a mess, but I was born in the family of God. They taught me, and be, just being part of Abraham and Isaac's family, I knew the one true God. I knew the God who saves. And maybe for you, the only good that you can think of coming out of your family is that your parents gave you life. My mom and dad gave me life. Or my mom and dad, they gave me a roof over my head. Or, or, or maybe for some of you, you say, you know what? Yeah, my mom and dad, they took care of me. They loved me. Or, or you could say, yeah, my, my mom and dad, they actually, they took me to see Jesus. They, they, they showed me the way. They loved and cared for me. In some way, we can all find some good. But the next thing we all need to do is to call out the curse. None of us is in a perfect family. And so we have to be able to call out the things that don't come from God, and it doesn't seem like Jacob did this himself. Because as I mentioned already, ready, Abraham showed favoritism to Isaac over Ishmael. And then Isaac showed favoritism to Esau over Jacob. And then Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph all over the, over the rest of the brothers. And then Joseph showed favoritism to Manasseh over Ephraim. And so they didn't call out the curse. They didn't stop this dysfunction. It passed on to the third and fourth generation. And so we have to be able to call out the curse, call out the dysfunction. Was there something in your upbringing that that this was just not from God? This is just not who God is. Maybe conditional love. Uh, Maybe it was love that was limited. Maybe uh, they didn't tell you who Jesus was. Maybe there was chaos or somebody who'd fly off the the handle. Maybe just there was things that were dysfunction. You just got to call it out. Or maybe there were survival mechanisms or, or coping mechanisms that, that you have received from your family of, of overeating, overdrinking, uh, uh, numbing out in entertainment, not facing the reality of the, the emotional weight of life. Just be able to call out the curse. And then finally, embrace the blessing of God. That's what Jacob did. When God came to him, he learned to embrace God to struggle with God, to wrestle with God, to embrace God. There's a man who, who, who I've gotten to know a little bit, uh, read quite a bit of his work, and, and he, he's mentored hundreds of men. And what he said is, after mentoring hundreds of men, I figured out that every single one of them had a father wound. Every single man that he mentored, he said at some level, there was some area where their father didn't measure up. And so he started telling them this mantra, fire your father. And it wasn't mean disown your father. It wasn't forget your father. It was fire your father in the sense of don't put your father in the place of your heavenly father. Don't expect from your earthly father what only your heavenly father can give you. Complete acceptance, complete love, complete protection, and a real plan for your life. And when you don't put your earthly father in the place of your heavenly father, you can actually have a relationship with your father. Because you're not asking from him what something only God can give you. So to receive the blessing of our heavenly father, the perfect father who loves us and accepts us in Jesus Christ, who's got a plan for our life, who only tells us the truth. Now for Jacob, this took his whole life. Decades and decades and decades of rewriting his story, of being able to call out the curse, of seeing his dysfunction, of running, of of challenges, of wrestling with God. This took his whole life. And so I don't expect that in one sermon, generations of dysfunction is going to totally leave all of our lives. This might be the journey of the rest of your life. It might take therapy. It might take counselors. It might take reading your Bible. It might take helpful friends. It might take pastors. But the journey is worth it because it's a journey back to God. It's a journey of transforming your family tree. So if I were to ask you (laughs) or say to you, you know, I think you're becoming more and more like your father, would that be a compliment or an insult? It depends which father. Sure, all of us are going to imitate our earthly fathers. Every once in a while, we're going to act like them. Whether we like it or not, there's just going to be some things that we replicate. But the more we spend time with Jesus, and Jesus points us to our heavenly father, the more we'll be like him. So I hope the next time we get to talk, I can say, you know what? I think you're becoming more and more like your true father. And you can say back, thank you. I think so too. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for all the gifts that we've received from family. Maybe from our parents or maybe from a neighbor or maybe from other people who gave us what we need in our life. We thank you for all those blessings. But, Lord God, we also have inherited a sinful nature. We've inherited maybe sinful patterns. We've maybe inherited trauma or other things from our families. So help us, Lord God, to see the difference between our earthly families and our Heavenly Father. Help us to call out the curse. And then, Lord God, lead us to embrace you. Embrace the truth that in Jesus Christ you're happy with us. And so, Lord God, let us leave here in the peace and joy